0: Because archaeology is a scientific enterprise. Yes and no, not not to challenge that. It's a it's a humanity. It's a weird mixture of humanities and science. Yeah, yeah. That that melds. Right. But uh, the database with which we work in archaeology rarely will find manuscripts. Right. I mean, extremely rare because those tend to rot. And of course, then there's the. The inevitable problem of even if you do have something more substantive, such as wood, it'll mm-hmm. rot over time. Right. Uh, or uh people will come plunder the wood to use it as firewood. <laughs> uh or yeah. building stones. You know, the stones would you know, building would be torn down and those stones used somewhere else right. in another construction. And so we inevitably have a very, very skewed database. So we have to be very careful about the kinds of inferences we draw Mm -hmm. from the fragmentary remains that are there. I would argue rarely, I'm not going to say never, because I I, I try to avoid making those kind of absolute remarks. Sure, But very rarely will you ever have a situation where archaeology has intrinsically proved something. Flip side also is true. Mm -hmm. Archaeology rarely, if ever, disproves anything.
1: The Folds, a podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Burr. Today, I had the great honor of interviewing Dr. Dale Manner, Professor Emeritus of Bible and Archaeology of Harding University. I first met Dr. Manner when I was a freshman and took him for an Old Testament survey class in the spring of 2005. Even though the Old Testament isn't where my own studies would eventually focus, or even my favorite testament, if I'm being honest, Dr. Manor still ranks as one of my all-time favorite teachers. And just ask my folks, I was in school for a very long time. In addition to Dr. Manor's work as a professor, he has also served as the field director for excavations at Tel Shemesh, and has partnered with a couple of professors from Tel Aviv University on that project, Zvi Liederman and the late Shlomo Bunimovitz. Given Dr. Manners' expertise in both the Old Testament text and the archaeology of Old Testament sites, I wanted to ask him what archaeology can tell us about the Bible, and what is one thing he would want every Christian to know about the Old Testament. Our conversation was so enthralling that we ended up having enough material for two episodes. So, what you're about to listen to is part one of two. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations we're having here on the podcast, would you be willing to like and subscribe to us, and maybe share us with someone you think might benefit from this? And as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Well, Dr. Manner, I am so excited to be able to have this conversation with you. I really appreciate you being able to sit down and talk with with me and the the rest of the folks about uh, some neat things about the Bible, and um, maybe how we can understand the Bible, maybe appreciate especially the Old Testament. A little bit better but before we get into all of that i would like to ask you can you tell us a little bit about yourself maybe uh, how, how long did you teach what sort of piqued your interest in archaeology since that's one of the things that you are most known for uh help us get to know you a little bit before we dig into the rest of our conversation this morning
0: well i think critically important is uh the contribution that my parents made to all of this hmm. um my dad was a preacher and I grew up as a preacher's kid and we moved around a good bit. I was born in Tennessee and eventually we moved to California and uh, the, that, that preacher life was indelibly imprinted in my psyche. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, dad tells me, mom and dad both tell me that uh, from preschool time, I wanted to grow up to be a preacher,
2: oh.
0: and within certain parameters, I've continued that mm-hmm. essentially all my life. Um, and but there was this this strange intrusion that began to encroach into the character. I guess probably like most kids, you know, at some point I want to be a fireman or you know that kind of stuff. Sure. I, I really don't remember that. I don't even know if I did, but uh, we can reasonably infer that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most, <laughs> most kids go through similar patterns in that, in that yeah. regard, but yeah. pre preaching was something that I always came back to. Mm-hmm. And when I was six, um, we we've always typically always had some cats at the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mom had cats and so forth. And we had one in Hartsville, Tennessee, when dad was preaching there and for some reason it died. Uh, I did not kill it. Okay. I want to emphasize that real quick. <laughs> uh, uh, that the cat died, and we buried it, and out in the backyard. And about a year later, I dug it up to sort of see what had happened. Just out of curiosity. And I, I think Maybe that's, that's what my...
1: killed the cat.
0: Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Curiosity. <laughs> Sorry. Definitely. <Yeah. laughs> uh, hopefully, it didn't kill me yet. Anyway. Yeah. Right. Uh, it hadn't gotten yet. Yeah. But. Uh, I, I think I dug it up prematurely (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a little bit, but uh, it was just that curiosity. And I I always had an interest in digging things up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I played in the dirt. I had a little, you know, my dump trucks and all that kind of stuff and would dig tunnels and build roads and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when we go to state parks, you know, civil war parks and all that kind of stuff, I was just fascinated with oh, the history yeah. and archaeology. And uh, formally, I didn't think in terms of archaeology. Mm-hmm. But when I was in junior high school, by this time we were in California, San Diego, my folks gave me one year, uh, I, I guess it was a birthday present or something, and a book entitled The Complete Book of Marvels m-a-r-v-e-l-s nothing to do with a comic character yeah Yeah. um and uh it was written by a guy named richard halliburton i think he may be uh uh part of the old halliburton family that we hear about you know construction and all that kind of stuff yeah but i'm not sure about that
1: i I think that's the group that uh that's one group that's that's big down here and yeah with the
0: refineries and yeah yeah I, I, and I think Christy. he's connected with them but i'm not yeah. I'm not sure about that yeah but anyway he's a, he was a rich kid, okay, yeah, uh, very yeah. rich kid, and for whatever reason, decided to travel around the world and go to all these historical archaeological places, and among them were machu Picchu uh you know hmm teotihuacan mexico. Mm-hmm. Going through the Panama Canal, he swam through the Panama Canal, <laughs> and uh, okay. interestingly, the the cost for uh, passage is the displacement of the water that you, as a vessel, <laughs> displace. <laughs> and so his his fee was minuscule. <laughs> and uh,
1: if you the, eat a light lunch the day before, you, yeah, you yeah. save a few pennies, save a few
0: bucks. And, but of course, among the sites that he visited was Rhodes and Athens and the pyramids and uh, the, you know, all these biblical sites or some of those biblical sites. And I just devoured this book. Yeah. It was, it was so fascinating to me. And I, I continued to want to be a preacher and I eventually did get a bachelor's degree in Bible. I went to Fried Hardeman and Pepperdine, and mm-hmm. I don't know how, how that's going to react in your audience. <laughs> I,
1: I think we pull from both crowds, yeah. Uh,
0: but uh, as a footnote here, I want to say I got a very good education at in both institutions. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, I, I I value them very
0: highly. Um, but my AA degree in Bible was from Fried Hardiman, and then I went to Bachelor, finished up finished up bachelors at Pepperdine, mm-hmm. and continued then living in California. And it was a degree in Bible, and I was preaching. I was already preaching. And as a graduation gift, mother and dad at that point were conducting tours to the Middle East. And so, as a graduation gift, I was given a tour with them yeah. to the Bible lands. And cute. this sort of tipped the scale. Okay, <laughs> right. uh, you were I'd done already, after that point. <laughs> I, I had already uh, noticed. Well, I hadn't noticed at this point, but when there was a paper if there was an assignment in class that was wide open to write on mm-hmm. other than a specific kind of assignment, you know, yeah. if it was an analysis of why it was the whale white and Moby Dick. Okay. I wrote on that. <laughs> uh, I actually did write a paper on that. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but if it was a wide open assignment as a writing exercise, I gravitated toward biblical historical stuff. Mm-hmm. And really enjoyed that and then i i was because of this trip and because of this tendency toward historical studies and archaeological stuff i wasn't really fully conscious of the archaeology element of it at this point i'm a slow learner you know sometimes really slow in the uptake uh, but I would integrate that into my biblical studies mm-hmm. and in my preaching and in my teaching. And I, I taught, I, I preached locally for 25 years before coming to Harding. Yeah. So I have a, a long history in local full-time ministry uh, as sort of a footnote. And I don't, this is no, nothing pejorative about our colleagues here. Yeah. I probably have as much, if not more full-time ministry experience than most of the ministry guys here at Harding. <laughs> <laughs> now, do not infer from that that I'm uh, that I know more about all of that because R- they've, right, yeah. they, they've done a lot of study on that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but from the standpoint of you know boots on the ground and the, the local ground. congregation, yeah. uh, that's a rich background. Very much. Well, so. the more I kept going into this, uh, the more biblical world and so forth, and I began conducting some tours to Israel. And I decided you know i i 'd like to get a degree in archaeology to use that uh, meaningfully in the church, yeah, and so I decided to uh, quit my at that point that congregation in San Diego and move to Tucson and enter the University of Arizona, which had a world premier archaeology program under mm-hmm. william G Deaver and uh, so I entered that program and Majored in Syro Palestinian archaeology. They tended not to call it biblical archaeology.
1: Uh, <laughs> Weird, but, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: but it was Syro Palestinian. And one of the mm-hmm. requirements, of course, was that you go on excavations. Okay. And I mean, that makes perfectly good sense. Right. I mean, it's sort of like, do you want to go to a physician that's never studied anatomy, you know, cutting cadavers <laughs> and all that kind of stuff? You, yeah. you, don't, you don't want to do that.
1: Digging around. The, the metaphor works. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probing, digging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. Um, that uh, I, I again by that point had a full time ministry job as well in conjunction with the uh, classwork, and eventually then I thought, well, you know, it'd be really cool to teach in a university setting. Yeah. Now that's that's easier said than done. <laughs> Uh, even back then (laughs) even back then um yeah howard norton uh, now a good friend of mine uh, but i i knew him a little bit back then Uh, i was talking to him about uh, getting a job teaching and he said well it's sort of like uh, standing beside a railroad track and there's a passenger train going by and all of the windows are closed except one and you're trying to throw a rock and get it through that open window. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of the chance situation. I know this is real <laughs> comforting to you. <laughs> that's sort of the chance situation of getting a job teaching, yeah. at least in one of our Christian universities. Sure, yeah. Well, compounding that was the fact that I did not have an MDiv. Mm-hmm. Uh, you at least have the privilege of that that I did not have. hmm uh and so I, I went straight from a bachelor's degree to a master's in archaeology a phd in archaeology with a minor by the way in hebrew bible yeah. yeah but uh the time came when i when i received a phone call from Harney mm-hmm. inviting me to come and interview and i i was just bewildered at this uh because i'd been told like, you know if, if we only had an md md then you know we could hire you, but because you don't, you know, we don't know what to do with you. Your degree is too specialized, even though it is in biblical archaeology and you've studied all of this biblical history and studied languages and you, you know, so forth and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Harding at least recognized, you know, he has 25 years of full time ministry <laughs> experience. And yeah. uh, we are trying to train ministers. And he has this degree that is biblical archaeology. It's not like Mayan archaeology. Right. Now, that, that's not to knock Mayan archaeology, sure. but yeah. that's, you know, unrelated to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to hire me. And so I taught at Harding for 24 years, yeah. uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, it, admittedly, we did not have an archaeology program, per se, but uh, I taught Bible majors. Uh, almost every year I taught uh, the Bible majors class and Old Testament survey mm-hmm. and then seminars and occasionally Hebrew language classes. Uh, not often because there are other guys here that know Hebrew much better than I. Mm. And, but I could know, I can, I can do that, if, especially if we got in a pinch. And um, so in my classes, particularly those historical classes, but even in some of the poetic uh, classes and pro- prophetics, Particularly, uh, a lot of archaeology can come in very profitably yeah. in helping to elucidate what's going on. I do want to emphasize: I did not get into archaeology to prove the Bible. Right. Uh, that was that was not my agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people think you know archaeology proves the Bible. Uh, yes and no.
1: <laughs> Depends on how we use this word proof. It does, yeah. and,
0: and and it also has to recognize that the theories of archaeology change from time to time sure yeah uh the database changes and uh, so i approach the bible from the standpoint i i don't go to a place in order to prove an event but i admittedly will have to say that i go to excavate in israel and that's the only place i've excavated by the way right uh i go to excavate in israel in order to broaden my horizon of what was going on in the biblical world. yeah. Now, I, I sort of compare it to, uh, if, you, if you think in terms of a database, okay, using archaeology as an example.
1: Yeah, because archaeology is a scientific enterprise. Yes and no.
0: Yeah. Uh, not, not to challenge that. It's a, it's, a humani- it's a weird mixture of humanities and science. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that melds. Right. But uh, the database with which we work in archaeology rarely will find manuscripts. Right. I mean, extremely rare because those right. tend to rot. Yeah. Now, in Egypt, they're more prevalent. I, like
1: I was going to say, for especially, especially where you have been working, yeah. in, the, uh, in the area of Israel where you had been working, um, papyrus manuscripts were usually not preserved. No. As well.
0: Uh, matter of fact, uh, I don't know of anybody other than down around the Dead Sea. Right. In the Jordan Valley where papyrus have been found. Yeah. At least from that far back. Yeah. Now, there may be, but I'm not aware sure. of. Sure. But like you said, uh, Egypt, the climate Egypt is, is more ballgame.
1: amenable to preserving right. those types of manuscripts.
0: And of course, you're, you're well familiar with Osterhynchus uh, right. finds and papyri and so forth. Uh, yeah, uh, just... For the
1: sake of our listeners, uh, a, a city in Egypt that... Um, the climate worked out to where there's or uh, archaeologists have found what are equivalent of like ancient trash heaps. Right. And it just found all kinds of uh, mundane things like receipts and laundry lists and business contracts and also some other things of, of greater significance as well. But you know, in this town uh, known as Oxyrhynchus, there, the, the climate was uh, was conducive for preserving a lot of that kind of stuff.
0: And of course, then there's the, the inevitable problem of even if you do have something more substantive, such as wood, it'll mm. rot over time. Right. Uh, yeah. Or uh, people will come plunder the wood to use it as firewood <laughs> uh, or building yeah. stones. You know, the stones would, you know, building would be torn down and those stones used somewhere else right. in another construction. And so we inevitably have a very, very skewed database. So we have to be very careful about the kinds of inferences we draw Mm -hmm. from the fragmentary remains that are there. I would argue rarely, I'm not going to say never, because I I, I try to avoid making those kind of absolute remarks. But very rarely will you ever have a situation where archaeology has intrinsically proved something flip side also is true Mm -hmm. archaeology rarely if ever disproves anything Mm -hmm. so it's more of the more data and the more corroborating kinds of data that you have coming together the the richer the context yeah and the background and the texture of what's going on say in the biblical text yeah And and that's the kind of approach that I have to archaeology. I want to enrich our understanding of what is there. And in my experience, one of the things that archaeology did, and I I did not anticipate this. This is something that just sort of surprised me. Sure. Yeah. It was naive on my part not to think this earlier this way. But Mm -hmm. uh, once I got into it, one of the things that really surprised me is, you know, most people in the ancient world were concerned about the same kind of things we are. (laughs) now they may have gone about dealing with them differently sure yeah uh but even then a lot of times it's not a whole lot different sometimes it's more of a technological variation than it Mm -hmm. is uh a pursuit kind of thing
1: yeah and one thing Uh, i've heard you say several times before is that people in the ancient world tend are were often far more sophisticated than we give them credit for
0: i mean think of our trying to figure out how they built the pyramid. And I do not believe in space <laughs> aliens.
1: <laughs> you mean the history channel has been lying to me this whole time?
0: <laughs> depends on which, channel, which program you're watching. <laughs> by the way, uh, recently there, has, uh, there was a discovery made over by the Red Sea. Okay. Uh, that has some manuscripts in mm-hmm. which, I forget the title of this. I, I, I could look it up and send it to you later. Uh, but That'd be great to put in the program. link,
1: put as a link in the description of uh, uh, of this episode. But there,
0: there, there, there were manuscripts found that described the production and delivery of the stones that were used in the construction of the pyramids.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's cool. I mean, this is like in your face, you alien types, <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> I so so. <laughs> I'm getting the sense that these manuscripts don't describe uh, flying cups. No. Hovering.
0: <laughs> they may be asking for a cup of water, but <laughs> beyond right. that, no.
1: Yeah, gotcha. But gotcha.
0: anyway, that's that's sort of uh, where I am. And I, I taught at Harding for 24 years. Mm-hmm. I retired a year ago. I'm still around. Uh, I'm still writing.
1: For those um, watching, yeah, you're in I'm, your I'm, office there yeah,
0: yeah. in, in Searcy. They let me keep my office in, yeah. at the school, and I'm also, <laughs> excuse me, also working on the excavation report. I'm associated with the project at Tel Bet Shemesh mm-hmm. in Israel. I'm one of the, well, I, one of the three main personnel there. Regretfully, when I'm passed away, yeah, I don't know if you knew that. Had al- min- al- when I
1: interviewed away. you for um, for a Sunday night thing several months ago. You, you had mentioned. Okay. That it, it, it was Shlomo. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so it's sort of Tsvi and I who are left. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, so we're, we have to take up the slack and work on the report of the excavation. And so that's, that's, a, that's a major project. Yeah. And so I, I will be ongoing there. And of course, Harding gets some credit, feather in the cap. You know, yeah. one of our guys is, you know, working on this. Sure. Scholarly production yeah. that Harding has been a part of. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a nutshell where yeah. I am, who I am, why I am, kind why? of thing.
1: <laughs> sort of a philosophical take on it. Um, since you have mentioned Tel Bet Shemesh, uh, would you mind if I, uh, if we may be used Bet Shemesh as kind of a test case, or maybe a case in point to demonstrate? something that you had mentioned earlier about archaeology, not necessarily proving or disproving. You have found something interesting about pig bones. At Bet Shemesh, right? Would you be willing, since I've heard you talk about this before several times, would you be willing to kind of give us uh, give us sort of the 10 peso version right of what it is about pig bones that was significant when you found them and didn't find them?
0: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Now, as we excavate uh, the sites, particularly in Palestine, or Canaan, Israel, okay, I'm not using those terms <laughs> like there's, politically.
1: There's no, there's no modern political associations no, no. with using and that term. Those are, those are technical,
0: historic terms, yeah. Right, and, and I hope I didn't offend anybody by that. But anyway, uh, there are a limited number of places where people before modernization, before aqueduct in particular, mm-hmm. uh, come into existence. And so there's a limited number of places where people could live. Right. Criteria that are vitally important is water source. Secondly mm-hmm. is uh, arable land. Thirdly is defensibility. Uh, obviously water is primary. Yeah. The other two, which is more important, is open to negotiation. And then a fourth is would be transportation access. Mm-hmm. And so there are a limited number of places where all of these features converge. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I sort of stereotype this. Okay, here's a place where uh, someone comes along and says, ah, oh, we got a water source, it's defensible, there's arable land, let's build a house, build a yeah. town. And so they build the ha- towns, typically in Canaan, ancient Canaan, in out of mud brick, mm-hmm. unfired, of course, yeah. just mud brick. And after a while, there's a plague, there's a war, there's a famine, there's, you know, whatever, and the, house, the, the town is abandoned. Sure, yeah. And with the town abandoned, then the, winds blow and the rains come sounds like jesus <laughs> and uh, the floods come and these mud brick houses dissolve into, right. into a layer of mush yeah because it is and mud it yeah. is mud and then somebody else comes along later and says ah here's a water source here's a defensible area here's arable land let's build another town and so they build on top of it mm-hmm. another plague another famine another war this is abandoned that the layer then becomes mush and then another group comes along here's water and, and you have this building up. Right. Now, the archaeologist, and this, this is important to understand why, what I'm about to describe, mm-hmm. the archaeologist removes these in reverse order of their deposition.
2: Yeah.
0: So, at Bet Shemesh, uh, I'm going to talk about the tell, because things weird have happened off the tell.
1: Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: That's another, I mean, yeah. it's a fascinating story.
1: Tell there. Is a Hebrew or Arabic word? Either uh, way, that means basically hill or mound, right?
0: Uh, it's it's a it's it's more than a hill or a mound. It is a ruin.
1: Okay, so specifically ruin.
0: Yeah, more of a ruin kind of. Gotcha.
1: Thing. So, like, people are familiar with Tel Aviv, right? Although in that form. case, it's a misnomer. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'd always kind of wondered. There was but no tell there. there, uh, there why they no named hotel.
0: it that, I don't know. But yeah. yeah. But anyway, so as we remove this, uh at at, at Shemesh, the latest on the tell occupation mm-hmm. is essentially the period that was destroyed by Sennacherib in 701.
1: Okay. 701
0: BC, right? So the right. Assyrians. 701 have come BC. In. Yeah. And so as we remove this section, all of the bones that we have here, there are no pig bones. Well, this is the time the israelites are living there yeah so it's not surprising no pig bones mm-hmm. and so as we remove that their next layer down dates to an earlier period ahaziah and uh, all of the material that we find here there are no pig bones right and so we remove so, this and
1: still during times in which the hebrew bible the old testament presents Israelite occupation uh, exactly. of, of this particular site. Yeah, that's right. that's
0: important to keep in mind. Yeah. And so all all of these layers, till I tell you differently, are mm-hmm. layers that were basically occupied by the Israelites. Yeah. So the next layer down would be roughly the time period of Rehoboam. Okay. And no pig bones. Mm-hmm. So all this has been removed. And then we come to the period just before Rehoboam, no pig bones. Mm -hmm. And so as we come to this transition that we refer to in archeology span and historical studies as the transition from the iron age, which is later to the late bronze age, which would be earlier, we're curious. Okay, now this opens another discussion, which I don't want to get into unless you insist on doing so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's the issue of the date of the exodus.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, th- another conversation for another time.
0: Another conversation for another time. Yeah. But there are two premises that are typically proffered for the date of the exodus. Mm-hmm. One is uh, the, the early date in the 1400s. Right. And a lot of conservative Christians subscribe to that. And, you know, okay, I, I'm okay with that. Okay. Uh, the other date is known as the late date, and it is in the 1200s. Uh, some many but not the majority of conservative christians subscribe to this yeah uh, uh just for, just for the sake of reference what else
1: in world history is is going on around say the 1200s is is that trojan war era
0: like is it that- uh it would be uh roughly uh it also is the time that the hittites and the egyptians are fighting each other with ramesses the Second. okay yeah uh and you have your first by the way of clarification here you'll often hear this is the first treaty that we have political treaty it's true that's not true it is the first record of a treaty from both sides oh okay That we have preserved so
1: we so we can compare and contrast
0: notes right right and so the hittites have one version of the treaty and the egyptians have another version of the treaty but it's the same treaty and Uh, the Egyptians make themselves look, you know, we scared the pants off the Hittites, so they wanted to (laughs) sue for peace. Uh, The Hittites, you know, basically said, you know, this wasn't going anywhere, so we decided to quit fighting.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: The Hittite one seems to be a little more accurate.
1: Fair enough. But again, we weren't there. Okay. It's it's at least less self-aggrandizing, right? Exactly. Fair enough. So
0: anyway, uh, so as we, we come to this period that is... The beginning of the Iron Age. So, which roughly, is
1: roughly, kind of 1200 BC. Yeah.
0: 1200 ish, 1150 ish BC. Uh, this is when even the Egyptian records indicate that there are people known as Israelites living in the land. Interesting. Because in 1207 BC, Merneptah, who is one of the Egyptian kings, talks in terms about going into the land of Canaan. And he boasts that. He's eliminated and wiped out the Israelites,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is sort of typical Egyptian hyperbole. Yeah. Uh, he had not wiped out the Israelites because they're still there. <laughs> right. But he yeah. apparently has defeated at least some of them. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any record of this. And I'm not saying that Merneptah is wrong, nor am I implying that the Bible is wrong. It's just something that was neither you know, the Bible doesn't talk about.
1: The the biblical records, like any historical records, are necessarily selective. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's simply how history works, historiography specifically. Right,
0: and and it has to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, so, but as we make this, as we come to the beginning of the Iron Age, we've had no pig bones. Right. So all these layers that have been up here uh, are Israelite occupied, uh, no pig bones. No pig bone, no pig bone, no pig bone, no pig bone, no pig bone. And as we sit here on the threshold of breaking into the late Bronze Age, now admittedly, Fee Letterman, Shlomo Bunevovitz, and I are all of the persuasion that this is about the time that the Israelites begin to emerge. Sure. Now, the explanation for that, of how that happens, we don't agree on. But nonetheless, yeah. time-wise, we, we agree. So I'm a late Exodus guy. Yeah, Okay. And so around 1200
1: ish 1200 ish yeah
0: and so we were we were anxiously wondering what's going to happen are there going to be pig bones or not mm-hmm. and so now the area that we've actually exposed now the area that we've exposed on iron age is relatively huge because you're sort of going tapering down 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 yeah and as you go further and further into this the smaller your sample is understood so, so all of this no pig bones no pig bone no pig bone and now we have a fairly small little area of late bronze age stuff and we start finding pig bone Ooh. now then the big question is why did the canaanites have pig bones right. and the israelites who live in the same area not yeah now to probably you and i as believers uh the bible says something about this
1: very very much uh, so you,
0: you're not supposed to eat pig
1: yeah
0: i mean it's a big deal in the book of leviticus mm-hmm. uh and you know hinted at in a few other places uh, isaiah alludes to contemptuously uh his attitude toward or god's attitude toward you know what you do is like offering pig's flesh mm-hmm. on the altar yeah uh, but uh the canaanites and the philistines who were their neighbors and particularly the Philistines ate truckloads of pigs, relatively speaking. So why is this difference? Is it because the Israelites had this understanding that we as an ethnicity are defined in part by what we eat? That's what I would understand. Sure. Yeah. Uh, In Shlomo argue it is some based on another issue. Um, and anyway, and those, those
1: two gentlemen that you work with from Tel Aviv University, um, they, they are not—they're not believers. No, in, in any
0: sense, they're—they're they're respectful of the Bible. I do yeah. want to emphasize that. Yeah, uh, yeah. but they're not believers. Uh, they're good people, right. Um, right? They don't discard the Bible. Matter of fact, I've been surprised sometimes when Svi and Shlomo have used the Bible to explain something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I've been very encouraged by that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh so because some of the scholars just brush the bible off as totally irrelevant
1: which is which is frustrating when when scholars do that because if you're looking for any historical source that gets us at least closer to the time of the events right well hebrew bible is what we have and if you can corroborate with you know material culture or things like that as what y'all have done as so so help us help us kind of narrow down in on the issue here do do does the absence of pig bones and then sudden presence of pig bones does that prove the bible or
0: walk us through that no it does not prove the bible it would be sort of a cog in a gear Mm -hmm. it would be an aspect that if the bible is accurate this would not be surprising but if the Bible's irrelevant, it's just interesting.
1: <laughs> An interesting coincidence. Right. Yeah.
0: So I, I look at it as a corroborative element, but it's not proof. Yeah. And there's a, there's a bit of a difference.
1: I, I was going to ask terms. if corroborating evidence is
0: a fair way to describe it. It dovetails, okay. uh, it, it, it meshes with what we would expect mm-hmm. uh, to be the case but it does not necessarily prove, it's sort of like a, uh, somebody writing a historical fiction. You know, I, it happens to be the same, but does it prove that it happened? I mean, his, historical fiction, sort of by definition is a, a framework of someone writes something as if it's real, but it's not necessarily real.
1: Sure, yeah. And that's, historical fiction is a known genre of literature, right? right. I don't read a historical fiction, the same way I would read, say, a biography or a historical account. Uh, you mentioned Civil War battlefields earlier. I, I wouldn't read a biography of of, of a uh, you know Civil War figure the same way that I would read a, maybe a historical fiction. I would expect right. some semblance of reality, right?
0: Now, some of your listeners and viewers may be familiar with uh, James Michener. Okay. Um,
1: how do you spell that last name
0: m-i-c-h-e-n-e-r okay and he's written of course i don't know how old your audience tends to be but he's he, it ranges he's,
1: from my parents to people younger than me so he
0: he's older than i okay, okay. I, I assume he's probably passed away by now mm-hmm. uh, but he wrote a lot of books wrote one on texas a story of texas okay uh and he's written one on Space flight of some kind. I have. I don't, I'm not familiar with the title of it, but he wrote one called "The Source." Uh, just that's it. The Source, <laughs> and it is a it's a historical fiction where he has taken events, particularly in the land of Palestine in Canaan, and he's constructed a story around events. So the the events and circumstances serve as cogs in his story, but he's invented situations in addition that mesh and meld with it. So yeah, you, have yeah. to, you have to read this with reservation. But I, it, 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 it's another book that contributed significantly to me going into archaeology.
1: Interesting. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because it's set in Palestine. It goes from very, very early prehistoric, which I'm not sure what to deal with. Okay. Don't ask me. <laughs>
1: right. Another uh, conversation for another time.
0: And, but it sort of picks up to me meaningfully around the time of Abraham. And there's this fictional site that he focuses on Mm -hmm. called Makor, which means source. And hence the title of the book. Yeah. And this, this site called the source doesn't really exist. Yeah. But he has taken things from different archaeological sites and put them in his fictional story at the source. And these then sort of serve as touch points from which then he develops a story. Yeah. And it, it's a it's about a third of the book I was like slogging through a mud pit, and I don't mean that in a pun way.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But once it got through for me, once I got through about that, it picked up significantly in interest. And it goes all the way from prehistoric times up until I think of nineteen forty eight A D. Huh. Interesting.
1: Yeah, a significant year for that part of the world. Right. Yeah. And so when we kind of look at something like, we have biblical text describing a group of people, the Israelites, and there's consistent mention of how they're supposed to abstain from eating pigs. And we see what we've got, uh, we see what we can find in the ground or not find in the ground, as the case may be, where no pig bones, no pig bones. And then suddenly the layers that we might we might start expecting to find pig bones we start finding pig bones because that's when the israelites would not have been occupying this particular this particular site we can kind of look at that as corroborating evidence that says well you know this this doesn't necessarily prove right the bible but it does lend how well, what, what, what would you describe veracity uh, there's a technical term in biblical studies called verisimilitude There's. It, it, it certainly, it certainly looks as if these two things are presenting reality is, is that fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then it then it the interpretation of it then becomes. Colored. I don't mean that in a negative way. Right. But it it, it depends on the lens from which one is looking at the datum. Mm -hmm. A believer will look at it one way, a non-believer will look at it another way.